Hello friends, I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode of Unshaken. This is season three, episode five, and we are continuing our discussion all about relationships. Before we jump into today's podcast, I wanted to do a little bit of a reminder, okay? So, hey, head over to your favorite podcast directory, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen, and give us a review. It really helps the algorithms for people to see this podcast pop up as optional choices for them. So I really appreciate it if you do that. Also, if you have some ideas of things you'd like to hear about on Unshaken or comments about past episodes or questions about an episode, um, hey, give me, a, give me an email. Send me an email at unshakenpsalm622, that's like all one word, at gmail.com. And I would love to read the comments and I'd be happy to reply to you about that. Well, I am really excited about this uh, particular recording that we're going to listen to today. This was given in 2017 at the Women of the Word Regarding Him conference. Um, and uh, the topic is all about how to connect at the water cooler. So really, how to connect with your coworkers. Kim Lechman was the speaker that year, and she has some really great advice. And I think it's really dear to my heart right now because I just re-entered the workforce a couple years ago. I became a substitute teacher at my children's school, and although I'm not hired as a full-time um, employee, I'm back in the world and I'm talking to women and men and having connections and knowing about them. And this was so helpful to me to listen to. So, hey, let's not waste any more time. Let's just jump in and listen to Kim Leckman telling us how you and I can connect at the water cooler. and listened to my dad as he went through a yearbook with my son. Mm. And this yearbook was from his workplace that he had been at for 25 years um, and that he had retired from. So as he flipped through the pages, he told stories about the people and he shared people's nicknames and he raised little random bits of information about them, about them and their families. And he laughed and he smiled quite a bit about it and you could tell that it was full of a lot of memories for him and full of a lot of friends. So it caused me to think back to when I was a little girl and we would go to the annual picnic, the workplace picnic at this place called Balmer's Park. I don't know if any of you remember Balmer's Park. So we would go to Balmer's Park every year and we kind of look forward to this. So I would watch my dad interact and laugh with his coworkers, participate in games, we shared dinner together. My mom knew a lot of the coworkers and their families as well. And then my brothers and I would spend the day riding rides. And I remember this one, I always would think this was going to be the year that I was going to be brave enough and strong enough to get that one to flip all the way upside down. <laughs> remember that one that you had to like rock back and forth? Never did it. Never got it to go upside down. So, but that's okay. But that, I don't know what it was called, but you had to get it. Anyway, I never got it to go upside down. But we would eat fair food and we played games. Um, and it was a, just a great day, and we look forward to it every year. I can also remember going on a tour of the factory with my dad. I remember going to the bowling alley with him on occasion when he would sometimes substitute on the work league. And I even remember at times there were his coworkers at our dinner table, often from out of town, and they would be invited in to have dinner with us at our home. So I ask at this point then, is this type of work relationship still in existence? or has it changed? 
So several well-known newspapers and publications would tell you that it has indeed changed. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average worker stays at a workplace for 4.6 years now. Um, so in some ways, we have a more intimate um, knowledge of our coworkers thanks to Facebook and Instagram, right? So we can know their new favorite lipstick, and we can know what they had for dinner, and we can know what political and social causes that they're passionate about, and even whether or not they felt like getting up that day or the next day, right? <coughs> but workplace relationships have changed. I'm going to apologize now. This keeps kind of going up and down, so it's okay, just so you know. Um, <coughs> So we could probably walk into any cafeteria or break room now, and we will find people assembled together, but with their heads down and their phones out, right? So it's not necessarily right or wrong or bad, but it's different. It's different from my dad's day of working. And yet, the workplace still remains a special place, one of unique camaraderie and friendship and community with a group of people that exists nowhere else. You're kind of in it together, right? And it's a place where people from kind of the outside just don't understand. So no one besides you and your coworkers know what it's like to get that report done and turned in on time or to deal with unhappy customers or those that are complaining all day long or what it feels like to lose yet another patient to the battle of cancer. Um, for many, depending on what schedule you work, you might spend more time in any given day with your coworkers than you do with your own family. So we walk through many things together. We go through marriages and births and birthdays, relationship troubles, even things like the woes of clogged garbage disposals and also picking out the perfect paint color for that newly remodeled kitchen. We share a lot because workplace is a special place. It's its own little world of sorts. So when you think about reasons that people go to work, what comes to mind? It could be the camaraderie that we've been talking about, or perhaps it's money or personal satisfaction, the need for insurance or retirement benefits, or even in this modern world, it might be out of necessity. But when you reflect on your own personal reason why you go to your workplace each day, what are they? It could be many of the above to some degree, but do we naturally think about relationships and the opportunities to be a light in the world and, a and to glorify God as a reason that we head out to work. I was fortunate in my career to kind of have a do-over of sorts. So like many, I attended college right out of high school, and then I began working as a nurse immediately upon graduation. I remained in the nursing field for about 15 years, and then God gave me the blessing of letting me stay home with my son for about 10 years and raise him. So now we fast forward to high school graduation, and I'm out looking for work. Right? So <clears throat> I needed to make up for lost savings opportunity and retirement benefits, and what else was I going to do with my time, right, now that he wasn't there? So those were my main reasons, and yet I sensed that at this point in my life, something was very different for me. <clears throat> Much time had passed since I'd punched a time clock, and I was apprehensive. I prayed for wisdom and direction. But more specifically, I prayed that God would allow me to either find a job that was simply to bring home money, but intellectually and otherwise was simplistic, so that I would have the opportunity to minister outside of work, or that he would make my work my ministry. Now you might be thinking, 
of course we minister at work, right? Because we're Christians, so we minister where we are. But I didn't really think about that in that first season of working. I kind of kept my work and separate from my worship and my ministry. <clears throat> now, this would be the first time that I'd be looking for work in the town that I was living. So I began out sending out resumes, and I got a call for an interview at the Inner City Trauma Hospital. So in my excitement, I went to tell my neighbor. Now, my neighbor is also a nurse, or she was. She, we lived in Kentucky at the time. Um, she's also a nurse, and she was a bit less than encouraging when I shared my news with her. And I remember standing out on my front lawn and her saying, don't do it. Do not go to work at that place. She said, I started working there at one point, and I went through my six-week orientation, and the first day I was supposed to work, I called in. And when they asked me when I would be back, I said, never. I am never coming back. So she relayed to me that this was just going to be awful, that the doctors were mean, the nurses were mean, and that it just was not a place for me to go. So I heard her warning loud and clear, but I decided that since it had been almost 20 years since I sat for an interview, that I would take the opportunity to use this as kind of a practice thing. So off I go to my interview, and with that behind me, I got in my car, promptly called my husband and said, this is it. This is the place. I know God wants me to work at this place. <clears throat> so I said, I really think God wants me to take this job. And so began my new career as an OR nurse in a major trauma hospital. And it was indeed a crazy place. And I did, in fact, want to call in forever on many occasions. <laughs> but, but I knew, I knew that God gave me that job. It was culturally different from any place I had ever worked before. And I encountered patients and coworkers unlike any of my previous jobs. It challenged my intellectual, physical, and emotional abilities. But included with all that, God granted my prayer of giving me a ministry in my workplace, one of simply loving my patients and my coworkers. <clears throat> he kept this forefront in my mind, and I was blessed in so many ways as a result. I loved that job, and I loved my coworkers there. When we relocated back to the Toledo area, I prayed a similar prayer, and God has once again granted that answer for me. We are told in God's word to make the most of every opportunity. I have been reminded of this over and over as I consider my workplace and those around me. As believers, we have an overarching command to love others as ourselves. We walk into this little world day after day, made up of a mix of beliefs and faith and principles. And we are commanded not just to get along or to push through it or to coexist as we see so often, but we're to love them. So in our time together today, we're going to discuss ways to be purposeful in our work relationships, ways to love our coworkers, ways to live for the Lord at work and be reminded of what a privilege it is to be there. Now, I am far from perfect at this, and I have a coworker that's here at this conference um, that can testify for, to that um, if you want to talk to her. Um, but God will guide our steps and interactions if we allow. When I returned to the workplace after my retirement of sorts, I found a scripture passage um, to help guide my actions and thoughts while I was there. 
One of my previous co-workers, Angie was her name, was rather difficult to work with. Um, she's grouchy and demanding. She held grudges and um, kind of made life miserable for many. Um, most didn't want to work with her and would actually request not to be with her, quite honestly. But for some reason, she was okay with me. We worked side by side professionally just fine. Not overly friendly, but professionally and respectfully. At one point, though, she shared with me that she was a believer. And yet I watched her struggle, battling through relationships, seeming unhappy all the time. Through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I wrote her a note. I shared the verses that we're going to be studying today. She took those verses and put them on her steering wheel so that she could read them every day before coming into work. She later shared how God had been gracious and that she was changing. I witnessed her, make, I witnessed her myself making an honest effort. God's word is powerful, and he is faithful. These truths were challenging and profitable for Angie and I. My prayer is that they will become the same for you. So our main text is going to be Titus chapter 3. Um, you can turn there if you want. And we're going to focus primarily on the first two verses. And they say... Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show humility toward all men. So our verses begin with remind the people. Remind the people. Remind the people how to be witnesses for me, to show my love to those people by your behavior and speech. So in the context of our passage, these verses were written by Paul um, to, for Titus to share how the believers were to live among the pagan or unbelieving society in Crete. And though often used in terms of governmental and social authority, we can draw principles from these verses that apply to our workplace relationships. The first thing that Paul says in the theme of sorts of our teaching today is remind the people. We generally need to know, we generally know these truths, but interactions with others can be difficult at times. We need to be reminded that God has a standard for us, for our behavior, both inside and outside the community of believers. But before we dive into those principles, let's just look briefly at verses 3 through 5. And they state, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And I'm going to stop there. As believers in Christ Jesus, we need to be reminded of who we once were. Foolish, disobedient, envious, hateful, and enslaved. We need to be reminded that it was the kindness of God that saved us and continues to work in us. It is nothing that we have done on our own. Who we are is because of God and his mercy to us. We need to be reminded of this as we interact at work. As things get messy and we find, it, find ourselves frustrated with people, God was merciful to me and to you. We need to demonstrate and extend that same mercy. So our principles today, hopefully, will help us to do that. 
So first we're told, remind them to be subject to rulers and authority. So this would naturally reflect our bosses. To be subject means owing obedience or allegiance to the power or dominion of another. We need to respect their position, their authority over us, and do what they tell us. We need to know our place. It does not say to be subject and obedient only if you think they're doing a good job, or if they gave you a good raise, or if in your mind they're deserving of it in some way. We are given a clear command to be subject. Previous verses in Titus refer to the behavior of slaves and masters. The principles contained in these verses are helpful in our conduct. We are to try and please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that we can be fully trusted. We need to show respect for them. We need to show up to work on time and be dependable. If you're in the habit of calling in, pray that God will help you to change that behavior, whether it be healing from sickness or a switch in your own attitude. Be diligent in your work. Do not compare yourself to others. There are many temptations with phones and Facebook and the like now in the workplace. If you're not on a scheduled break, I would challenge you to consider if you should be looking at your phone. Be mindful not to steal from your employer in the way you spend your time. After the verses about the slave above, it says that they do these things so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. As believers in the workplace, we are always representing Christ. We work by scriptural principles because our testimony is at stake. Our interactions with our bosses demonstrate an understanding of God's authority in our lives and should reflect that. We trust that God, in his sovereignty, has placed them over us. So do you respect your boss as an individual and in his or her position over you? Do your actions and words demonstrate that you respect them? Can they depend on you? In 1 Timothy, we are instructed to pray for those in authority. Why? It states it is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you pray for your boss? I walk by my boss's office many times a day. He is young, not much older than my own son. Um, And honestly, he can really be a lot of fun. Um, He always has candy, good stuff, like chocolate, (laughs) always. Um, He's easy to talk with, and he does a good job as a manager. But I don't know that he knows Jesus. So I need to pray that he comes to know the Lord. That's one of the reasons I'm in the position that I'm in. I need to heed the command to be subject Because as I stated earlier, it's a reflection of my testimony, who I ultimately am subject to, the Lord God. So remind them. Remind them first to be subject to rulers and authority, and secondly, remind them to be obedient. Compliance with a request, order, or law, or submission to one's authority is obedience. When asked to do something, so long as it is not sin, we need to do it without question. It does not matter if you perceive that you've worked harder than anybody else that day, that it's not your job, or that it's just not fair. 
fight against a rebellious spirit in the workplace. You've been asked to do something. I'm not saying that you can never request an assignment be changed or that you cannot voice a concern, but generally speaking, you have committed to work and need to do what is asked of you. Any position that I've ever had, from bagging groceries to my current job, I have known from the beginning what my job description was and what was expected of me. And I'm sure that's true for all of you. Our coworkers expect that we will fulfill our duties and function well on the team. It builds trust, establishes professionalism, and demonstrates care. At times, working together can be difficult. Performing our duties as expected without complaint can go a long way toward establishing relationships and avoiding bitterness, gossip, and disunity. Do you do what is asked of you without complaint? Can your coworkers depend on you to do your job faithfully and with care? Obedience in the workplace matters. So remind them. Remind them to be first subject, second obedient, and third, remind them to be ready to do whatever is good. Be ready. Be ready. We are to be actively seeking out ways or occasions for doing good. We are to be eagerly seeking out ways to promote the welfare of not only our work environment, but the lives of our coworkers. God's word tells us not to grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Be ready to do whatever is good. Now, good is difficult in some ways to define. It could mean serving or showing kindnesses or simply doing everyday tasks well. But this is an excellent way for us to establish work relationships. As we look for ways to practically serve our coworkers, rapport and relationships grow. So how do we do good? When I re-entered the workplace, I had two specific prayers. One, that God, God would enlarge my heart toward my coworkers, to love them and see them as Christ sees them. And second, I prayed that God would allow my coworkers to find favor with me. I challenge you to pray these same prayers. It is not for the purpose of gaining special privileges, but rather for the purpose of friendship and genuine regard. I want them to trust me, to enjoy my presence in their lives, not because I want to be popular, but because hopefully in me and in us, they will see Christ. I had a situation that occurred several years ago that illustrates how God allowed that to happen in my life. So at my workplace at the time, we wore these sort of walkie-talkie devices around our neck, and, and they allowed us to communicate with each other and also to receive phone calls. So one morning when I was preparing a patient, it went off saying, can you take a phone call? I answered yes, assuming it was regarding the surgery we were about to do, but instead heard, this is Stacy. I'm the supervisor at your husband's work. We believe that Jamie has had a stroke and we've called 911. We're going to be transporting him to your hospital. So understandably, this was not the call that I expected. It was also very public and on a speaker for all to hear, and I was noticeably shook. The good news is that it was not a stroke. But the next day, when I returned to work, one of my male co-workers came up to me to inquire how my husband was doing. I was not particularly close to this man. We functioned primarily as fellow professionals. 
But he said to me, I prayed for you and him. I don't really know how to do that, but I tried because I knew that it was important to you and that that's what you would have wanted. Now that was God's favor to me, and that was God's love. God allowed this man not only to have compassion for me and my family, but to have a glimpse of the truth that he is the one that we turn to in crisis, and he is the great physician. God is faithful to hear our prayers. Pray for love and favor. So how else do we do good? Practically, get to know your coworkers. Ask about their families and life outside of work. Learn the names of the people you interact with or pass by every day. Be genuinely interested. Share pieces of your life, with discretion, of course, but allowing them to know you as well. Find out their interests, and if you share any, take the opportunity to arrange a time to do that, so that thing together with them. Do they have a need? Meet it if you can. Perform deeds out of and in faith, those prompted by the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore that gut feeling that you're supposed to do something, even if it may be hard or uncomfortable. I know stories of people giving away vacation time to help in financial struggles, sponsoring fundraising dinners, loaning their car to somebody for a time, watching children, sitting quietly at hospital bedsides, or even something as simple as bringing in clothing that their kids no longer wear. Sharing a recipe, loaning a needed supply, or helping finish a work project are all examples of doing good. The challenge to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn applies well here. Mm -hmm. Be happy with them, not just in work accomplishments, but in everyday life. When they get a new car, their child starts to walk, or one graduates from high school. Beware of jealousy in any situation. This is not love. Recognize sadness and seek to be a comfort. Oftentimes our coworkers simply need to be encouraged that they're doing a good job or that they're being a good mom or wife. Don't miss these opportunities. Say it out loud, send a text, or write them a note. You may be asked for advice. Are you ready for words of with words of wisdom based on the truth of God's word? Not spoken in judgment, but delivered from a place of caring and love. I was able once to share a book with a lady that dealt with the issues we were both struggling with. It grew our friendship as we journeyed together and talked about our situation. We are the light and love of Christ in our workplace. Are we acting like it? Are you loving them well? I admit that I'm a little biased here. I love my coworkers, my girls, as I call them often outside of work. They are a delight to me in so many ways. Pray for God to help you to do good and look for ways to be a blessing. So we are reminded to be subject to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, and fourth, we are told to slander or to speak ill, to speak evil of no one. Now this is a difficult reminder. I readily confess that I sin in this area at times and struggle not to get swept up in conversation. We get with our coworkers 
and someone doesn't do, say, or think what we like, and we can be off and running in no time with our story and tasty morsels of news. This reminder is referring to our tongues, that tiny part of our body capable of so much boasting and destruction. In God's word, James reminds us that no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We need to be especially aware of the power we hold in our speech for good or bad, life or death. The atmosphere of our workplaces is hugely affected by this. Matthew Henry, who is an English minister and commentator living in the late 1600s and early 1700s, had this to say. We are to speak evil of none, unjustly or falsely or unnecessarily. If no good can be spoken, rather than speak evil unnecessarily, say nothing. We must never take pleasure in speaking ill of others, nor make the worst of anything but the best we can. We must not go up and down as talebearers, carrying ill-natured stories to the prejudice of our neighbor's good name and the destruction of brotherly love. Misrepresentations or insinuations of bad intentions or of hypocrisy in what is done all come under the breach of this prohibition. So this issue with our tongue is not new. It's centuries old, in fact. Um, but we need to be reminded that we are called to speak truth and encouragement, that which builds up and does not tear down. And James, you are warned that if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Are you aware of how you talk at work? Are you deceiving yourself? Early in my nursing career, I worked in a small office-type environment and considered my two co-workers to be good friends. One in particular, I shared a lot of details of my life. I often talked about church and my involvement there, but I now realize that it was often in the form of complaint. I spoke ill of my pastor at times, as well as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I was shocked when she did not want to come to anything I invited her to, or that she never asked about Christ or wanted to engage in any conversation about faith. I was a terrible witness and a terrible friend to her. Our lives are transformed by God, and we are on a constant display of that. Our hearts are reflective in our speech. Praise God that he's given me a do-over in my professional life. Sadly, not with those two people that I just spoke of, but in my new settings. I have asked one of my co-workers at work to tell me if I am speaking out of line, gossiping, or being inappropriate. I need her to help me in this. I urge you to enlist a buddy in this if this is a struggle for you. It goes beyond just talking about other co-workers. We need to be mindful of what we are saying about relationships outside of work as well. Do you talk about your husband at work, kindly, or in the form of complaint or comparison? How about your kids, parents, siblings, or neighbors? Are you careful not to misrepresent them or to speak ill of them? It is fine to, and even helpful at times to share our struggles, hurts, or concerns. And it can be an opportunity to show our reliance on Christ and how he is faithful and works in our lives. 
but we have to fight hard against this desire to say and know things about others. Proverbs 17 tells us, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. We are sinners, and we will stumble. But we need to quickly apologize. Let your friends know that you were wrong in saying what you did and seek their forgiveness. Do you have an issue with someone? Go to them, not your friends. Have they shared a confidence with you? Then protect that trust. Pray you will never be the source of division in your office because of your words. As you listen to others interact and share stories, use it as an opportunity to know how to pray for them. Our tongues are powerful. May we use them for good, for encouragement, truth, and love. Our fifth principle, then, start over again. I feel like I keep starting over with this one. Our fifth principle is remind them to be peaceable. Another version says to avoid quarreling. On a day-to-day basis, we need to be mindful not to create an environment of contention and strife. Romans 12 reminds us, do not repay evil Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We should never be seeking to get even. Our personalities are not going to click with everybody, and it's unrealistic to think that we will always agree or get along. But we are to conduct ourselves in a way that is not hurtful or provoking to another. That is not love. We need to be friendly and non-combative. Be the brunt of the joke sometimes. It's really okay. Differing personalities can be challenging, especially when we're in stressful situations. Do not insist on getting your own way. Don't be loud and boisterous. In the book of James, it tells us we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We, we do not need to prove that no one can push us around or to take a stand. The only stand that we need to take is for Christ. Good relationships are more important than our rights. That person that is unkind or rude, that opposes us or acts contrary to our beliefs, are they to be fought against and disliked? Or are we to look at them as our enemy, the very ones that we are called to bless when they persecute us? Bless and not curse. Are these not the ones that Jesus calls us to love and pray for? Proverbs has much to say, including a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and an angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Don't be quick to take offense. Beware of sarcasm and name-calling. Guard your tongue We are also told that a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Are you known to fly off the handle? Do people bristle at the thought of engaging you? If this is something that you struggle with, 
Memorize truth and speak it to yourself in the moment. Remember that God will grant you wisdom if you only ask. May we never be known of as fools. So remind them. Remind them. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, and our sixth principle, remind them to be considerate. We are to be aware of the feelings and rights of others and be thoughtful of them. This brings about the idea of gentleness. Paul tells us in Philippians that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to consider others better than ourselves. Do you demand things to be done your way? Do you need to defer to a coworker in a certain area? If possible, we need to be putting their needs above ours. We need to be patient with each other. This is not a doormat mentality, but rather an opportunity to lay down your perceived rights and keep in mind the bigger picture. In light of eternity, does this really matter? If not, let it go and be considerate. Something as seemingly small as your music selection or the cologne you wear can make a difference in our interactions. Our coworkers need to know that we value them, that they are important to us. We need to have a gentleness about us. Don't think the worst of a situation or assign negative motives. Give the benefit of the doubt and love them well. So in our last principle, Paul tells Titus to remind them to show humility toward all men. This call to humility involves all of the above principles to some degree. It's a call to service to another, whatever form that takes. Jesus is our supreme and perfect example of this. In John 13, we read the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. All of them, even Judas, who he knew, would betray him. No job is beneath us, nor is any person. Whether or not a person is grateful or worthy in our eyes is no excuse to not reach out and do what is needed. In Philippians, we are told that our attitude should be, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility is a recognition of who we are in Christ. We speak, act, think, and work the way we do because of Christ's work in our lives and our desire to bring glory to God out of gratitude for our salvation. Our unbelieving co-workers do all the things that they do because they do not know Christ. We are nothing apart from him. Our giftings are from him. There is no room for pride. Beware of hypocrisy and feelings of superiority. We are not the workplace judge, taking opportunity to point out everything we see as wrong. Seek to serve and build up your co-workers. We need to be careful to distinguish the sin from the sinner. I recall sharing with my son one time the struggle I was having on how to interact with a new co-worker. I fretted over what I should talk to her about how to love her, or even if I wanted to interact with her. 
I stated that I hoped that I would be bold to speak against her sin one day. He replied to me that he thought God would want me to be bold to speak of Christ, of salvation in him, that that was her immediate and true need, and that the Holy Spirit could just work from there. I believe that was great wisdom. I am to show humility toward all men, regardless of my comfort with them or whether or not they agree with me. We need to love our co-workers, not their sins. We need to pray for them and pray that we will have eyes to see them as Christ does. We need to set ourselves aside and serve them well. So remind them. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and show true humility toward all men. Remind them and remind us. Remind us today and in the days to come as we seek to love and care for our co-workers. Work is indeed a special place. It is a good gift from God. May we be grateful for our jobs and for the people God has placed in our life. We need to be wise in the way we act, making the most of every opportunity. While driving to work, I often listen to Christian radio, and one of the songs has become a frequent prayer of mine as I walk across the parking lot in preparation for my day. A portion of the chorus says, Let them see you in me, and let them hear you when I speak. Our lives are a platform for what we believe. We represent Christ in our workplace. How we act, talk, and treat our coworkers makes our message believable or not. Our speech and actions are a reflection of our hearts and our testimony to an unbelieving world. So I ask you, what is your message? Would your coworkers call you a friend? Do they know that you care about them, value, and respect them? As we end our time together, I just want to share a brief personal story. I spoke in the beginning of my talk about working right out of college. At that time, if you would have asked me, I would have readily confessed to being a Christian, though my lifestyle did not always reflect it. I began working in the surgery department at a local hospital and worked and spoke often with one of the resident doctors. I witnessed how he treated his patients and colleagues and the respect he would show to his attending physician. He showed me kindness and took an interest in my husband and I. He shared about he and his wife, pieces of his life, and it became evident that he was a believer. At one point, he extended an invitation to my husband and me to join them in the Bible study they were hosting in their home. We attended that and then eventually invited us to church, and we began attending regularly. I became friends with his wife. At some point, the Lord began working in my heart, convicting me of my lifestyle and sort of pretend Christian walk. I began living for the Lord, surrendering my life to him, whether the first time or finally in obedience, I'm not sure. But I knew that I belonged to the Lord. I am forever grateful to this doctor because he made an eternal difference in my life. Never harsh, never overpowering but kindness, love, and obedience to the, God, to the call placed on his life to share Christ and be a light wherever he was. I am a believer today in part because of a workplace relationship. 
We have a high calling, ladies, to be purposeful, to make the most of every opportunity, to be a light in our workplaces and reflect Christ. Eternity is at stake. Pray that they not only see Jesus in you, but come to know him themselves. There is no greater friend for us or for them. Now, wasn't that really good and practical? I mean, wow, there was so much in there that was good and it helped me to think about my work environment. I hope it helped you think about yours. Now, as I was listening to her talk again, I was reminded that our lives have really changed since 2017. I mean, as we know, no surprise to anyone who's listening, in March of 2020, lots of people went home to work. And they were sitting in front of their own computer at their own desk, likely in their pajamas, which, hey, I can't say that's too bad. But it means our interactions with our coworkers have changed. We aren't seeing them in the break room. Uh, We aren't walking by their office. We're not interacting with them in the hallway anymore because we can't, we don't see them. And I think this is just a chance for you and I to be a little different in how we deal with our, our coworkers. Like, for example, we might have to be more purposeful Maybe it's gonna require us to reach out to some of those coworkers that we had relationships with, check in with them, maybe meeting them for coffee outside of work or for a walk on your lunch break if you live close enough. Maybe it's gonna mean that you have to reach out to a new coworker who maybe just joined the workforce along with you that you've never seen face to face. This is what God calls us to do and we have to be creative, yes. Sometimes it's gonna be harder and we have to make um, give up a little bit, right, in order to connect with some of our coworkers. But I challenge you and I challenge myself to look for ways to be creative in connecting with our coworkers right now, no matter where we're at in our job. And maybe you are still in your traditional type of a job. And hey, thank you for keeping working. Um, I know many of you who are listening are some of our essential workers who have continued to work diligently and faithful through all of this situation. So thank you and um, know that I pray for you. And hey, that reminds me, let's end our episode today in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so grateful to you for Kim and her willingness to share right from your word some good and practical principles that we can use in our workplaces. Lord, give us strength and wisdom in our working world. I pray for those men and women out who are our essential workers in hospitals and police officers and even in the grocery store, Lord. Give them strength and keep them safe. I pray, Lord, for those women and men who are now working at home, that you would give them wisdom as they are doing their jobs from home, sometimes in their jammies, but still it does change how they go about their jobs. Give us all wisdom and strength in our co-working relationships, Lord. May we honor you. I pray that you will open the door for us to be able to share the gospel of who you are and the work that you've done in our lives and our hearts. And Lord, I thank you again for this episode and this time to talk about this really important topic. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stay tuned next week because we are going to be talking with a friend of this podcast, Erica Simpson. She's been on here a few times and she and I are going to talk about marriage. I think you're going to love it. I think it's going to be helpful. Uh, Neither one of us have perfect marriages. I'll tell you that right now. So stay tuned and you can hear some of the great things that we talked about as we spent some time together to record episode six in season three. 
And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.